get ready, it's time. Motherhood Talk Radio, starring Sandra Beck, is the most powerful voice in women's issues today. As the owner of Motherhood Incorporated, Sandra brings you inspiring, influential, and interesting resources to help you navigate everything from childcare to corporate formation. Each episode of Motherhood Talk Radio features guests who all have a story, experts in their field, and information you won't want to miss. We bring you everything from the latest crafting tips to how to be sexy in your 40s. From great parenting tips to moms facing some tough challenges, and most importantly, how to bounce back with style. Motherhood Talk Radio helps you make a difference in your world and the world around us. Being all you can be starts right here, right now. Let's do it. Here's your host, Sandra Beck. everybody, this is Sandra Beck and we are going to be talking today with Paula Mounier about The Wedding Plot. This is an amazing book and it's wedding season so if you want a cozy mystery, I think it's a cozy mystery because I like to wrap up in a blanket and spend time with my friend Paula who's an amazing writer. She wrote a book called The Wedding Plot. She's got Borrowing of Bones and a bunch of other books for her but today we're going to talk about The Wedding Plot. She has not paid to be on today's show. I just love her books and love to have her on. Paula, welcome. Oh, well, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure. Great fun to talk to you every time. Yes, yes. So let's talk the wedding plot. I mean, first of all, we're coming into wedding season. And who doesn't want a mystery in a wedding? Well, it's funny because, you know, this is book four in my series, although you can read them in any order, it doesn't matter. And my editor had told me because the past couple of books had been sort of winter, snow, ice, blizzards, falling through the ice kind of stories. He said, no more snow, no more snow. And I thought, well, perfect, because I'll set the next one in June, which is wedding season in New England everywhere, but especially New England and especially Vermont, where my stories are set. You know, Vermont is a huge, it's a small state. There are only like 600,000 people in the state. But it does a, over $160 million worth of wedding business every year. Wow. And it's one of, it's the third highest ties with New, New Rhode Island for the third highest cost of wedding anywhere. So the average cost of wedding in, in Vermont is $43,000. Oh my goodness. The oh. Only, which ties with Rhode Island and the only states more expensive are New York and Connecticut. Of which of course makes sense but people love to come to vermont because it's beautiful and they can have an outdoor wedding which is very popular now outdoor weddings are like 72 percent of weddings now according wow. to them are outside or at least partially outside and it, you know it's gorgeous and so it's perfect for destination weddings they have all these farms and barns and resorts and great places to have weddings and since it's such a big deal they have like 6,000 weddings a year in Vermont. Wow. I thought, what a perfect place to have a wedding. And it's a fer- perfect place to have a murder, right? Of course. Uh, my joke is, yes, my joke is weddings can be murder, right? So, <laughs> in more ways than one, right? That's you have right. The, it's not just the payments that are going right. to kill you. <laughs> right. It's, it's the family drama, right? Yep. The mixing of these two families coming together, inevitable conflict. And then, of course, since it's a murder mystery, you have a couple bodies thrown in. So it was a lot of fun to write. It was a lot of fun. I bet. I bet. Well, and I find, like, you know, I'm showing my age here when I'm actually starting. I have one friend now, my first friend, who's 
child is getting married. So that was like a big hallmark. We looked at each other in the coffee shop and we're like, oh, we must be old. Like, but I have to tell you, it was such a different viewpoint. Like when I got married or my friends got married, we were looking up and going, why can't these families get along? Why can't these families get along? Now, like at the bird's eye view, the parent view, looking oh, yeah. down going like, oh, this marriage is never gonna make it. Like this family, I've got, you know, one family that's a huge ethnic family. There's like 300 of them that all have to come to the wedding. And then the other side of the wedding is a, a, a different ethnic, but they're, one's a refugee, one's a, you know, like an only child. So there's like, six people on their side of the family and 300 on the other and they want the sixth family to pay for the wedding right exactly that's exactly what happened to me when my daughter got married in switzerland you know i'm an only child so there was a relatively small family right her brothers came and her grandparents but other than that there weren't that many people representing us there right <laughs> from this huge swiss italian french family with a million relatives Paula, I'm just going to jump in here for a second, you know, as we talk about these crazy weddings, because I want to thank our sponsor. And today's episode is sponsored by Liquid IV. And I want you guys to grab your Liquid IV hydration multiplier sugar-free in bulk nationwide at Costco or get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code MOTHERHOODTALK at checkout. Now, I want to tell you about Liquid IV because I love it. You guys know that I have my regular job, I do my podcast, and then I also teach at a gym five days a week. And I live in Southern California where it is hot, hot, hot. It was over 105 today. And Liquid IV is the number one powdered hydration brand in America. And now it is sugar-free. That was my big thing. I'm like, I don't want the sugar. And with three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drinks, plus eight vitamins and nutrients for everyday wellness, Liquid IV hydrates two times faster than water alone. And it keeps my daily routine exciting because they have three new flavors, white peach, green grape, lemon lime. Not going to lie, green grape is the bomb. It is so good. With their convenient packaging, I can whip it in my gym bag. I can leave some in my car. That green grape is tart and crisp. My mouth is watering. It is so, so good. And one stick of liquid IV in 16 ounces of water hydrates you two times faster and more efficiently than water alone. And that helps me power through the spin classes that I teach. And if I sub for a teacher and I've got to go back on that bike after doing 60 minutes, I can do another 60 in another 90 because Liquid IV has no artificial sweeteners, zero sugar, and it has a proprietary amino acid allulose blend for a sweet taste without the calories or raised blood glucose levels. You know, those are the things that you get from sugar. It's also non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. What's not to love? Real people, real flavor, real hydrating. Now sugar-free. Woo! Sugar-free, sugar-free, sugar-free. Grab your Liquid IV hydration multiplier sugar-free in bulk nationwide at cost or get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code MOTHERHOODTALK. That's 20% off anything you order when you use promo code MOTHERHOODTALK at liquidiv.com. We're talking today with best-selling author Paula Mounier about weddings. Her book is The Wedding Plot. It is a USA Today bestseller. When we get married and we have our kids get married and we have these crazy, crazy bills, it's just insane. There are people here that I don't even recognize or could identify in a police lineup if I had to. I understand your point of view because I was thinking, who are these people? 
Right, they're like, you know, like I was listening, I was sitting at the table because it was so much fun listening to the young bride and groom talking and they were saying the grooms, it's the groom's family and the groom's like, well, I have to invite my cousins like they're like my brothers. And then, well, you have to invite the cousins wives. And I'm like, so I just just for fun, I just leaned over and I said, how many cousins do you have? He's like 37. I'm like, right. That's 60 people if everybody brings a date and you haven't even got to like your friends. Right, exactly. And and it, 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 I had very short notice. I had three weeks to plan a wedding in Switzerland, you know, <laughs> and over oh, Thanksgiving. No. I was planning to visit with my son. We were planning to visit my daughter in Switzerland. She goes, well, you know, I said, well, maybe we could meet this guy, you know, while we're there. She goes, oh, better than that. Why don't we just get married while you're here? And I said, excuse me? You know, so, so the single working mom had to plan a wedding in Switzerland halfway up a mountain in, in a chalet, you know, it was insane. It was an, a, an entire weekend full of people, but it was actually, it was a lot of fun. And they do a lot of drinking in Switzerland at weddings. Oh, you know, yeah. They, I mean, it was hilarious. Everybody gives a toast. Everybody who comes everybody. to the wedding. Oh, how many and people were there? There were maybe, I don't know, 75 people. And they all spoke a different language. I mean, Switzerland itself has four, right, is it right? four languages. languages. So everybody was speaking a different language. So they translated every toast into every language and kept drinking and kept drinking. It was it was really quite wild. I wild. bet, especially coming from New England, you know, rather conservative. I mean, I'd have a glass of wine. You'd have a glass of wine. We'd both compliment each other's hair and say, oh, your hair looks lovely today. Yes, so does yours. I like your dress. And I mean, that's the extent of it. Yeah. No, it was it was quite the thing. It was quite the wedding, but it it did give me a, an insider's look to the mother-in-law's right point of view, and the outsider's point of view. So that was really helpful in writing the book sure. because I could, I could I could really put myself in into every every role, right? right because been you've bride. been a bride, you've been a right. divorced, you've been a rebride. I don't know what you call it. You know, like when yes. you marry again. That sounds so bad, like a rebride, but call that an optimist, right? <laughs> yes, there we go. An optimist. Um, yeah, but it's but it's funny going and I can see how, you know, with this with this extended family that's coming in, there's two brothers that don't get along. Right. And they're like, so the wives hate each other, the brothers hate each other. And of course, by default, the kids can't be friends. You know what I mean? Like you're going over to en enemy camp. So I'm like, ooh, well, there's a body waiting to happen. <laughs> sure, sure. No, it was a lot of fun to write because, uh, it, you know, it's typically, it's usually the, the heroine's wedding, but this was not the heroine's wedding. This was her grandmother's wedding in, in the wedding plot. She's marrying her longtime beau. She's a vet. Patience is a veterinarian and her beau is a is a large animal vet from Quebec. So I have this French, French Canadian family coming down and everyone has secrets. Both families have secrets. And of course, weddings tend to bring out the secrets in a family. Sure. <laughs> and that's always fun to play with, right? Oh yeah. I mean, because you know, secrets are what make novels delicious. Yes, exactly. And mysteries especially, right? Because someone dies and then the wedding's in peril and then nobody's getting along. And and it was just it was just fun. And I got to I got to plan it to have the wedding during wild orchid season in Vermont, which is a beautiful season in Vermont. It's usually right around midsummer. And what happens is in this wonderful place, a special fen in Vermont, there's these wild orchids called lady slippers and they're they're rare 
-hmm. they don't grow many places anymore, but they bloom at the Esquibog in a special little fen in Vermont this week. And so I drove with my mother over there to take a look during the um, lady slipper blooming season. I thought, well, this is the perfect place for a wedding. Yeah. Yeah. So I created this resort because it has to be a destination wedding, right? I created a resort that's kind of a mix of the famous Woodstock Inn in Woodstock, Vermont, which is a big place, right? And this place called Twin Farms, which is was once billed as by Fortune magazine as the most luxurious hotel in the world. Ooh. So it's wildly expensive, you know, and it's it's on all this acreage and it has its own mountain and all this stuff, right? A ski run and and a, a skating pond and swimming and all this stuff this this place has. It has magnificent art. And it has this thing where instead of having a menu when you go and you stay there, they just ask you what you like. And then they create a customized menu based on your personal. Oh, I want to go there. Even though I know it's in your book, I want to go there. I know. It's it's insanely expensive. They have a 20,000 bottle wine you know, vineyard, you know, a little cellar that they have. I mean, and they grow all their own vegetables. It's a very cool place. And so I sort of modeled it after these two famous resorts in Vermont and put it together and made up my own special ladies slipper inn where the, where the wedding would take place. And that was fun too. Oh, I bet. So let me ask you, like, you know, this is just a little offer, any budding authors that might be listening or, or writers that are enjoying today's episode. And you can find Paula at paulamunier.com, M-U-N-I-E-R, paulamunier.com. Um, when you create this scene, did you make a vision board? Did you have something on the computer? Like, or is it just all in your head? Oh, no, no. I have a whole, I have a box full of newspaper clippings and stuff, but I also have Pinterest boards. I love Pinterest and I love Pinterest boards and I have a, an actual bulletin board that I put stuff on too, but I, that's part of the fun for me. Yes. The, part of the books is the research, right? Right. Well, you're a former journalist too, like I am. So that's the thing. When you send your box of newspaper clippings, I'm like, I have got boxes of clippings like everywhere in my office because I never know when I need that idea. Exactly. And and just I believe that the physical act of writing it down or clipping it out or putting it on a board that that helps fuel your subconscious so you can come up with better ways to use those things when you need them. That's my personal little writer's belief. I don't know how true it is in in terms of, of psychology, but it works for me. Yeah, but I think it also, you know, sometimes I read, I read, you know, I read all the time and I, I get, you know, radio books, um, what I call radio books, they're authors that send me their books to be on the radio. And, you know, a lot of times, depending on the cover design, I can't tell if it's a mass market paperback that's been vetted through, you know, uh, agents and editors and all those things versus a self-published until... I open up the book and start reading it. And I'm like, you know, just even as prosaic as blue eyes in one chapter, brown eyes in the other. And I'm a detail person. And when I read somebody's book, like if I go to the Lady Slipper Inn, I will be able to walk through that inn in my head, knowing what's on what wall, you know, what's it. So I think, you know, our memories are faulty with those kind of details and they become foggy. So I don't know how you could write the Lady Slipper Inn without a visual. Right. I have to have a visual. And, and, and I like creating 
too. I think that's the fun part. One of my one of my former report guy I worked with as a reporter. I trained him as a reporter years ago, and he he reads my books. And of course, he, he says, you know, I just skipped the decorating parts, but I love the dogs and the and the dead bodies. And so I think it's so funny because, of course, I love the decorating parts. You know, Me I too. love that part. So every reader has a, a different appreciation of of the different elements I try to put in each story. All the things that I love, right? Dogs, murder, mysteries. Um, you know, nature, always nature plays a part. And of course, the, the actual buildings and the spaces. And in, in Vermont, it's not just the building or the dwelling, it's, it's the natural landscape around, sure. right? And I love those parts. Well, I mean, you know, I think most of us do, you know, for the most part. I mean, if you look at a Hallmark movie, my brother lives in like Hallmarkville. Like they've, they, it's like where the most Hallmark movies have been shot in Easter or in New York. And oh, that's so funny. Yeah. So when I go there and I have to go there and like, there's a couple different places that are iconic. They always shoot there. So I made my sister take me a picture, you know, <laughs> I'm here, I'm here, like under the Hallmark clock and, you know, and then I have to scream every time the movies are on. I'm like, there's Uncle Steve Street. Like <laughs> but the point is that that beauty, you know, these Hallmark movies that are so popular, you know, you go to a small town. It's not like a crappy little town I grew up with. There's a pretty bakery. There's a pretty bank. Like there's, you know, there's always a bakery. There's always a park. There's always a street that can be decorated for the town fair that has flowers. Like, you know, it's formulaic, but it's because that's our fantasy. You know, nobody right. wants to go to my hometown where there's a homeless guy like drinking on the corner. Like, there are no homeless people drinking on the street anywhere in a Hallmark movie. So we count on, you know, your books to take us, you know, if we're living in Southern California, like I am in the middle of the desert, I want to have the lady slippers. I want to feel the, the cool breeze. I want to smell the earth, you know, like that smell sure. you get, you know, like I'm sensitive to smell wherever I go in the world. I'm like... I have a smell for a city and a water taste. Sure. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it, you know, it's really interesting because Vermont itself is cute. I yes. mean, it's quaint. This is why people love Vermont because, you know, even the rest of New England doesn't hold a candle no. to Vermont. I mean, you, you, you cross the border into Vermont and all of a sudden it's cuter. It's quainter. Yes. There's something about Vermont, right? And, and so that's why it's fun to set my stories there. Well, yeah, and I think there's there's certain things like like I know in the town where I live in my brother's town, you know, there's building codes. So you have to stay within a building genre like my neighborhood. I live in horse country for California. So you have to have if you buy a house here and you build, which I did, you have to have a minimum of two acres. You have to have white PVC horse fencing. You're given four colors of paint. That's all you can do. And you have to use certain, like when I put my pool in, I had to have an approved fence that looks like it's actually a, looks like a horse fence with, with the, with the chain link on it. The chain link has to be on the inside, not the outside, you know, to preserve the aesthetics, but that's what it takes to have cute, quaint, or lovely. Right. Exactly. You know, Vermont's big on that. And, and when I was a reporter years ago in Monterey County in California, I would always do stories on Carmel because Carmel has some of the strictest oh, codes yes. ever. Carmel's beautiful. It is beautiful. And at the time, Clint Eastwood was the mayor. And so he ran 
on the platform of ice cream cones because you were not allowed to sell ice cream cones in Carmel because they would drip on the sidewalk and that was considered a mess. Aesthetically pleasing, right? So, so he won based on ice creams. Now you can actually have ice cream cones in Carmel, but it's still very strictly um, regimented how you can build, what you can build, what you can do and what you can't do. That's why it's so adorable. I mean, Carmel is just adorable. Right, because it does preserve the integrity. Because I've been to, you know, like you, you've been all over the world, you go to places, and when people are allowed to do what they want, which is great, you know, we all want freedom, but then you drive through the town and you're like, okay, that's an ugly brick edifice. Like, okay, now we have an A-frame, and then over here is the geodesic dome. And I guess if it was all crazy, it would work. <laughs> But when you have like nine colonials in a row and then a geodesic dome, which happened in my little town, and then the A-frame, they're like, okay, what is this? Like the, what are those geometrics, the, um, the platonic solids, you know, you have a rectangle house, like it's sacred geometry. There's the, the sphere and there's the triangle, but that doesn't work for the setting in a book or when somebody comes and the town evokes a mood. And that's what you're talking about is it's evoking a mood. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, here in new England, like I live in New Hampshire, about 40 miles from Vermont border. And New Hampshire is, you know, the live free or die state. And, and uh, we mean it, but, so there's more freedom. On the other hand, when it comes to housing, people stick pretty close to the colonial salt box, you know, farmhouse model. They don't, because anything else would just be considered- An eyesore? From away. Yes. That's, that's what we right. say about people who aren't from New from England. Away. From away. And, you know, that would be, that would not be pleasing to anyone here. So, so it's sort of local peer pressure that keeps people from going too far outside the Yankee mold, right? Right. Well, we have the California mold. Everybody's got to have, you know, my house was two stories. Oh, no. Like, you know, but they're sprawling ramblers and they have large lands and, you know, they're horse properties. So, you know, you, you can have a barn. And I thought it was really funny when I moved in. I'm like, there's people who don't have horses in my neighborhood and they have these huge barns. And I'm like, they put their RV and their boat in there, but it looks like a horse barn. Right, right, sure. We have a lot of horse people on our street, and we have a big barn too. But it's my husband's shop. Nice. So it's got, got a bobcat in it. Oh, <laughs> so we have we have two kinds of bobcats here. We have the real thing, yeah, back by by the uh, wetlands, back part of the property where that we do. We've never seen one in person, but the trail camera catches the bobcats gotcha. on camera. And then we have the bobcat, the machine, which you know, my husband's my husband's toy his toy. Well, we have bobcats and mountain lions. And it's funny, they come to drink out of my pool. They come out of the mountains, they drop down, drink out of the pool. And my kids are really funny because even though they've been raised in nature, I don't know, maybe it's because they're boys, but my son's like, mom, look at that funny golden retriever with a tiny head. I'm like, that's a mountain lion. Like, <laughs> that's not a golden retriever walking around, get the dogs, bring them in. And then he was laughing because I went out and he's like, mom, he goes, you're such a country girl. Because I went out there and I grabbed a can from the kitchen and I was rattling it along the chain link fence of the phone because, you know, of the pool that will will scare him away. And he's like, well, what would you do if he didn't go? And I'm like, well, the last time we had one drinking out of the pool, I shot it with the hose, you know, and sure. it's, like, you know, things like that, that you you wouldn't know how to do if you didn't raise yourself in the country or were raised in the country. 
Exactly, yeah. exactly. Here, here we have beer and moose, bear and moose, and bobcats and coyotes, and um, and occasionally a wild boar escapes from this game preserve. But what we do, if you have a problem with that, we have wild turkeys. Is you go to the local game warden, and he gives you a little electric fence, and oh. you put it around. And then the next time they come, they shock, then they remember, and they don't right. come back. They don't come back. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. All right. So if you liked what you heard today, Paula, tell us all four titles. Give me all four titles. Oh, okay. So, well, there's A Borrowing of Bones, yep. which is the first in the series. Then there's Blind Search, yep. The Hiding Place, The Wedding Plot, and coming in October, Home at Night. Ooh. Oh, that's exciting. That's yep. exciting. That was a fun one to write because set in ha at Halloween. Nice, nice. Those are always fun. And now for our for our authors, what well, are budding or otherwise that are listening, you also have some really good books. I know I just reread um uh the the yellow one. What's the yellow one's title? The Writer's Guide to Beginnings. Yes, Writer's Guide to Beginnings. And um, I reread those every couple of years because they have so much information and they're really good. So why don't you share those? And you've got Writing with Quiet Hands, which I also just read on the plane. Right. Writing with Quiet Hands, The Writer's Guide to begin Beginnings, and Plot Perfect. So if, and if Plot have, Perfect. Yeah, if you have trouble with plot, Plot Perfect is the one you should read. If you are having trouble with your beginnings or you're sending out queries and nobody's responding, it's because your beginnings doesn't work. Your beginning doesn't work. So if you're not getting anywhere, check out your beginning and read the writer's guide to beginnings. And then writing with quiet hands, I wrote for all those writers who are this close to getting published, but they're doing something, something sort of refinement process wrong, right? So that they, they're just below that next level they need to hit that bar they need to hit. So I wrote that after I'd been an agent for about a year because I thought there are so many writers who are very close to getting published, but they're they're just doing one thing wrong, whether it's point of view or whatever it could be. And so I wrote Writing with Quiet Hands for those writers. Oh, and these are three books that everybody, if you're even thinking about a writing career, you should have those three books in your um, arsenal, in your bookcase. I do. I have them. I read them again and again because they are really dense. Like not that they're dense, hard to read, but there's a lot of information to absorb. And as you move forward in your writing career, each read through, you'll capture different things. So I want to thank Paula Mounier for being my guest today. You can find her at Paula Mounier. Mounier is spelled M-U-N-I-E-R, paulamounier.com. We'll be back again soon with another great episode. Thanks for being with us today on Motherhood Talk Radio, starring Sandra Beck. Join us again. We've got something you won't want to miss. Motherhood Talk Radio is a production of Beck Multimedia. Multimedia.